Be seated. We have a worship time like that. I always feel like I just need to pause, you know, and just sort of soak for a moment. Just let the Lord kind of speak to my heart, direct me, give me a little bit of a nudge. <laughs> it's kind of lovely. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and we are here to worship you. And we will continue to worship you as we open your word. We ask that you would make it real and live to our hearts, and uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us how to understand it and apply it. Lord, reveal yourself in your word and in us today. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, one of our, our favorite things as a family, and maybe this was true in your house too, um, was that sometimes we would hunker down in front of the television set on a Sunday evening and watch Walt Disney. Anybody remember that? Yeah, a number of you do then? Uh, I remember it back at the time when it was Walt Disney's wonderful world of color, because you know people were starting to get color TVs, and so they were emphasizing that it was in color. And uh, Walt Disney himself used to narrate it until he died in about 1966, and then they kind of retooled it and called it the wonderful world of Disney. And I think it's, is it still that? It, it's been that for a long time. Um, but you know, Walt Disney's face was always up front and center and uh, we heard his name all the time. But really, he wasn't the one who made it run. <laughs> he was the visionary in terms of creativeness. But the visionary in terms of business was his brother Roy. And Roy Disney ran the company. He was the one with the real acumen, and he's the one who made it all come together. And um, what, one of the quotes I read from Roy, which I, I always really liked, is, you know, when your values are clear to you, making decisions becomes easier. When your values are clear to you, making decisions becomes easier. Isn't that the truth? Our values, our core values, influence just about everything we do, everything in life, um, and especially the important decisions that we have to make. Uh, what we value even determines who we become in life. Now, we've been on a journey of values here for several weeks. Uh, we've been talking specifically about spiritual core values, not just the core values of the Brethren in Christ Church, but values that strengthen every believer in their walk with Christ. Now, we have identified or singled out 10 of them, and, and I want to put them up on the screen before we go any further this morning. First one is experiencing God's love and grace. You know, we, we don't believe that God is cold and distant. We believe he's close and warm and personal, and that someone can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The second thing on our, oops, the second thing on our list is, if I can get that to go back, aha, believing the Bible. That's very, very important. We are people of the book. Uh, the Bible is the believer's handbook, and uh, we value the Word of God. We use it to determine uh, what we're going to do with our lives. And uh, we learn how to, even how to think and process like God and understand what it is that he is trying to say to us and how we should live our lives. We believe in worshiping God. That's a great value for us. 
you know, we, have, we love worship that is God-honoring, spirit-directed, and even life-changing. You know, I felt like that this morning, that it's the kind of worship we were having. We are Jesus followers. We follow Jesus. Um, you know, in recent years, I've, the word Christian has come to mean a lot of things in the media and such, and, uh, and I've more recently begun to refer to myself as a Jesus follower, um, just to clarify that. Now, I am absolutely, absolutely a Christian, but uh, Jesus follower is a little more descriptive. We follow and we obey Jesus' teachings as the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. Fifth is belonging to the community of faith, and that's talking about the church. Uh, we were not intended as Christians to be some kind of island universe to ourselves. We were created to be in community, and we're called out of the world. You remember earlier in the series, we talked about what it is to be the called out ones of God. You know, that's the, the calling of the church, called out of the world and called to be together, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus serving one another, but also serving the world around us. Number six was witnessing to the world. We value witnessing to the world. We don't just hang on to what we've received in the message of God. We share it with the world. We tell other people about it. Uh, people who live nearby us, maybe our neighbors, and people who live far away. We have people from this congregation who serve in places like Malawi and in other parts of the world. We spread the word. We share the word of God and uh, witness to salvation through Jesus Christ, both home and abroad. We serve with compassion. We serve other people at their point of need the way that Jesus did. We pursue peace in all things, not just by not being violent, but also by reconciling with others when we have a problem and, and with each other. Simple living. Now, that's a hard one for a lot of us. Simple living is about making room for Jesus in our lives. Our lives are very cluttered all the time. So decluttering to be able to serve, to be able to give, to be able to free, just freely give our love um, is a very important value. Well, that final one, that's where we're at today. Uh, relying on God. And uh, here's how we say that. We confess our dependence on God for everything and seek to deepen our intimacy with him by living prayerfully. I want to break that down into three parts today. Dependence on God, intimacy with God, and then to talk about what it means to live prayerfully in our lives. So first of all, we're going to look at dependence on God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. What does it mean to trust the Lord with all your heart? Well, you know, we've probably heard sermons on that subject about a dozen times, maybe more. Maybe you've got some things memorized and, and you remember, well, you know, I've heard this before, so why bring it up again? Well, maybe because we're not very good at doing it. And, you know, we all need reminding. I need reminding, or maybe it's just me. Maybe you don't need reminding. Maybe everything's going just great for you, but I know I need reminding to do that, to rely on God. In this country, 
We're a very independent people, aren't we? We even have a national holiday once a year called Independence Day, right? So we celebrate independence. And it's one of the things that I love about America is that pioneering, all or nothing, do or die trying attitude. I mean, that, I just love that. I think that that's, that drive really makes things happen. But it's also something that makes it really difficult for us pastors sometimes because, you know, we're trying to help and, and teach people to rely on God, to become less self-reliant in terms of our spiritual lives, to really learn to trust God in all things. And, and we don't trust quite so easily. Sometimes we don't understand Scripture quite the same way as it was written because of our very independent spirits. Um, you know, the scriptures were written in very different culture from ours. You know, a lot of cultures around the world are very interdependent. That means that they, they depend on each other greatly in order to work, to thrive, to survive for family, for all kinds of things. And, and the Jewish culture was very much one of those interdependent societies. And uh, that's the perspective of the Old and the New Testament. But what happens to us sometimes is we look at the scriptures and we read it through our American sensibilities, our very independent mindset. Um, we don't read it quite the same as they would. And I think that early readers would have looked at scripture and seen it maybe a little differently than we do because of their perspective. Think about the story of, of Jesus who's calling his disciples in Matthew 8, and he calls them, and one of the disciples says, uh, uh, Lord, uh, let me first go home and bury my father, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? You know, sounds like dad's moldering in the backyard and is waiting to be buried. Well, that's not really the case. It reflects an interdependent culture. Parents raised their children to adulthood, and then children were continually under their parents' authority, even up into adulthood. And when the parents began to get older, things began to reverse, and it became the children's responsibility to care for the parents until they died. Well, the man here who Jesus is trying to call to become a disciple, uh, he's saying, well, I will follow you just as soon as my father dies and I no longer have this responsibility. That's a different way of thinking for us. That might be years from now, right? And so Jesus is sort of saying back to him, hey, we need to do this right now. This is a spiritual priority. Probably the man had... Uh, was using his cultural responsibility as an excuse not to become Jesus' disciple. It begs the question, what kind of excuses do we make? You know, when we're asked by God, called by God to do certain things or to live our Christian lives a certain way, I'm sure we have our share of excuses too. Well, this kind of interdependent culture is a bit foreign to us, but it wasn't foreign to Israel, and it wasn't foreign to Jesus' followers, his listeners. We are far more likely to trust our own opinion, whereas Jewish culture taught reliance on others, and so it was easier to shift that reliance to God. 
The psalmist is saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And it means exactly what it says. Put your whole trust in God. Don't be so independent that you shut God out. Rely on God. You can depend on him. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Submit to him. Ooh, that's hard. That's giving something up. That sounds like letting go of our independence. And it is. It is. But it's not a dangerous thing. When we put God first and always in our lives, when we trust him the most, he will lead us where we need to go. That's what the straight paths is all about. It means going the right way. I mean, it's not going the roundabout way that takes us to all kinds of places where maybe we should not go before we finally get to the destination. Jesus has a way of cutting through those kinds of things in our lives and taking us directly to where we need to go. The straight path, the right path, the place where we need to go. You know, the reason that David was able to kill a lion and kill a bear to defend his flock when he was a shepherd is because he relied on God. And he was able to defeat Goliath the giant because he relied on God. He only started getting into trouble when he stopped relying on God. You know, later on, his, when he got in, the whole thing with Bathsheba and the problem with his own children, that's him. That's not God. That's him not relying on God and making those decisions based on his, his whims, his desires, um, and not really listening. Not really relying. You know, the only reason that David is called a man after God's own heart after that in the scriptures is because David repents of his sin. And he comes back to doing the, th the way, things the way he did in the beginning. And he spends the last part of his life relying on God again. Now, our, our statement says that we rely on God for everything, not just a, a few things. We rely fully on God's grace for salvation, right? We can't do anything to forgive our own sins. Not one thing. And there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. But God, in his grace, loved, his, loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for us so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. You need to trust that truth and believe in that God because that God loves you and he did that for you and you will be forgiven of your sins and you will receive the gift of eternal life with him if you receive him if you trust him you know, I, I find, you know, the different ways we express how we came to the Lord. Um, you know, I was born again. I came to Christ. I believed in him. I found Jesus. One of the, my favorites is I trusted the Lord. Because that's really what it's about, is trusting the Lord and then taking those steps to follow, which include repentance and surrender. We lean on God for other things like his wisdom. I, I'm amazed... And it, and it bothers me to no end, and you've heard me talk about this before, but, but Christians making major life-changing decisions without ever consulting God, that's dangerous. Without prayer, 
It's no wonder that some of our choices end up in bad places because we don't ask God about them first before making them. You know, just because we have Jesus in our lives doesn't exempt us from making bad choices. I, I think some Christians, some folks seem to think that because they have Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit, whatever they think must be from God. That's a dangerous way to think. Because even sincere, God-following, spirit-sanctified Christians can make poor choices and ignore God and his will. That's not what we value. We value dependence on God. You know, and that's not a crutch. You hear, well, Christianity is a crutch. But that's not a crutch. That's being smart. Depending on someone who knows everything, past, present, and future. Depending on someone who has the power to do something about your situation. We live in a world that emphasizes self-sufficiency. And that's why it's crucial for us to recognize our dependence on God. Scripture repeatedly reminds us that apart from Him, we can do nothing. This is talking about our spiritual lives. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. So the, the second thing that reliance on God does is it leads us to intimacy with God. I like the book of James. It's one I've read many, many times. Probably I've read James more than any other book in the Bible. And it's so practical in so many different ways. And it has a lot to say about your spiritual life and how you live for God. And he wrote in chapter 4 and verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And that's where we usually stop. But the next part is, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, it helps us to put it in context and remember that right before he says these words, he says something else. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. you know, so that's why you have this part about repentance immediately after these great words of comfort. I, and I think the words are comforting. comforting. You know, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's a promise. But the second half talks about repentance. and That's a regular part of keeping strength in our relationship with God, is coming before God with a, a humble heart. If we want to have a deeper intimacy with God, it has to start with coming to God in humility. Draw near, which really means make time for him. Have you ever lamented that you don't feel God's presence in your life and then you, you kind of come to the realization, oh, um, I'm not really doing anything to foster that intimacy with God. God is always present. He hasn't gone anywhere. And he always makes himself available to us. It's just that we don't always make ourselves available to him. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I don't know how to draw near to God. It's not as hard as you might think. You know, we can start by sitting quietly before God, by acknowledging God's presence. We recognize, even when we don't feel it, God is everywhere at once. He's right there with us. 
Maybe we start a a time of drawing near by reading a little scripture. I I find the Psalms to be really helpful in that way in in preparing my mind for prayer. Um, You know, you can pick a shorter passage or a, a section of a Psalm. You don't have to, you know, read some great large section if you're getting yourself ready for prayer. But I find it's good to mull over that and to meditate on what you read. You know, Tim Keller, I, I, read, I heard at his funeral when, his, um, when he died a little while ago, um, his son talked about how uh, he read the Psalms every day in his adult life. And uh, at one point, about 30 years ago, he began reading the book of Psalms through every single month. And then his wife went through a really bad time of illness and she began to read the Psalms and they began to study the Psalms together. And they have this, um, this really lovely little book called The Songs of Jesus, which is really well worth reading and I recommend. But it, it just made me think about that, that Psalms is a good place to lead us into worship with God, into prayer with God, and to prepare our minds to get our hearts ready. Think about what you're reading if you're reading scripture to prepare for worship with God personally. Um, Think about what God might want you to do with what you're reading. Recognize that God is God and tell him that. Acknowledge that God is is God. That's kind of like saying, I'm not God and you're you're God, not me, right? There's that independence versus interdependence. Thank God for the things that he's done and the things that, maybe those special things that you recognize, those are God things in my life. Those are things that God has done in my life and thanking him for those things is very important. Confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. Kind of back over here, aren't we? Pray for others. Pray for your own needs. You know, it's okay to ask for things. Sometimes people have a feeling, I can't come to God and talk to God about the little things. They're just too small. Again, God's busy, you know. (laughs) He's got other things to do. But God is like your parent. And, you know, there's nothing he likes better than to bless his children. You can ask for things and he will listen and deliver. Some of you use little memory tricks and mnemonics to help you remember, you know, when you go into your worship time as a kind of a worship plan. I I know some people use the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, as a a little acronym. It it stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Um, I I like this really simple one, and it's PRAY. (laughs) And, And it stands for Praise, Read, meaning reading scripture, Ask and yield. Now, the reason I like this is because it includes Scripture in the process of moving into prayer and worship. But I also like it because the last word is yield. And that part is very important. Yielding is very important in gaining intimacy with God. The more we yield, the more we give ourselves to God, the deeper your relationship with God is going to be. The closer you're going to feel It starts with relying on God, learning to trust God, and that leads into spending time with him and reading his word and talking to him in prayer, and that is leading you into intimacy with God. And don't forget to listen. 
Don't forget to listen. He might be trying to tell you something very important through the scriptures, or maybe he's nudging your heart in a certain direction after you've prayed about something. Remember to listen. Holy Spirit may be nudging you in a direction in response to your prayer. So draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Well, here I am moving into my third point about prayer, and I've already talked about prayer, but it's a different thing about prayer, living prayerfully. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, Honoree Nowen says, if we think that a little prayer can't do any harm, we will soon find that it can't do much good either. Prayer has meaning only if it's necessary and it's indispensable. Um, a little prayer is great. Start anywhere in prayer. But more prayer is better, especially if we begin to adopted into our lifestyle. Prayer isn't always formal. It's not always about those time you schedule that you sit down with God. Living a life of reliance on God involves embracing a posture of continual prayer. Now, this isn't confined to some ritualistic recitation of words that we do. Rather, it's an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Through continuous prayer, wherever we are, we're inviting God to be present in every aspect of our lives, in our joys, in our struggles, in our decisions, in our aspirations for the future. It's a constant recognition that, that God is just not, is not some distant deity, but he's an ever-present companion in our journey. And by living prayerfully, we cultivate a very heightened awareness of his guidance and experience the peace that transcends understanding. We experience God as we live that lifestyle of prayer where we're constantly talking to him. I want to bring the value statement back up here as we finish up. It says, we confess our dependence on God for everything and seek to deepen our intimacy with him by living prayerfully. You may have noticed that this value statement started differently than all the others that we've had. Each of the others started with the words, we value, and then the value. This one is different. It starts with, we confess. We confess. Jay McDermott, who's a former professor at Messiah University, he says, that's because it's, it's not just about what we value. It's what we desperately need. In our own strength, we can't do any of what we said we value. It's only with God's strength and God's guidance and God's wisdom and God's leadership that we can do anything at all of spiritual significance that are, or value in our lives. By surrendering our self-reliance, by entrusting our concerns to God, we open ourselves to be transformed by the power of his grace. Our values 
are important. Shared values as a church are even more important because they, they reinforce our values by the strength of community. And if they're solid, if they're scriptural, if they're God's values, they'll guide us always towards God. That's how we know when a value is not a godly value, if it pulls us away from God. As the great theologian John Stewart said once on late night television, if you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, they're not values, they're hobbies. And I believe that. Values go deep. They take us where we need to go. They help us with our decisions. And they improve our relationship with God. And they make us better servants. Lord, we confess our need of you. Our dependence on you for everything. Every part of our lives. Lord, we can accomplish nothing of spiritual value or significance without you. And we want to go deep in our relationship with you. Help us to have the courage and the strength and the discipline to talk to you constantly and to be willing to listen as you speak to us and direct us transform us so that we can reflect you closely not only reflect what we see in the mirror but reflect you to other people around us and to the world Lord, let your values guide us through our daily lives until we meet you face to face. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.